uh, this morning in our studies of Mark's Gospel. As I keep reminding you, we are not looking at everything. It's concentrating on the Gospel, the basic message of Christianity. And Mark, as the other three Gospels, is moving toward the climax of Jesus's life in this world, which is his death on the cross. Uh, There are more details now uh, than ever, and this is what Christianity is all about. Uh, So you will note that at the beginning of chapter 14, we've got uh, details coming, such as how many days till Passover when Jesus was to die, after two days, and even the time of the days are now going to become significant. Uh, So this is what we're moving towards. And God willing, we're going to spend some time in these last couple of chapters. And Jesus Christ has finished his Olivet Discourse. Do you remember that? The sermon he gave uh, on the Mount of Olives in chapter 13 about the destruction of Jerusalem and his second coming. That's what we've been looking at. And now we are given a detail about something that happened in Bethany. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem for the last week of his life, he didn't stay in Jerusalem. He stayed in a house in Bethany. Bethany is only a couple of miles from Jerusalem to the southeast of the city. And so what we have in Mark 14 in our reading, which we're going to look at this morning, is something beautiful that was done to him in the house of Simon in Bethany. Uh, Let me just give you the details here. I'm sure you noticed them in the reading. This is the house of Simon the leper. Isn't that lovely? Jesus Christ is in the house of somebody who was considered the outcast of society. As Stuart Olliott preached a few weeks ago, Jesus Christ's heart goes out to whoever doesn't matter who you are this morning. Uh, This gospel of Jesus Christ is for you. And then who else was sitting around the table in this house? Uh, Well, Mary is the one who opens the flask of spikenard. Who was Mary? Mary loved Jesus to bits. She, She was one of the most devoted people in the New Testament. Every time you read about Mary, you read about her being at the feet of Jesus. That's the kind of woman she was. What a fellowship meeting. And then who else was here? Martha, her sister, in the other accounts now, we're given these details. Martha was brilliant at practical things, serving and things like that. And then Lazarus was here. Now, that's the most amazing thing because he'd been dead and he'd experienced the power of Jesus Christ raising him from the dead. Wouldn't you have loved being in that little fellowship meeting? I would have loved being there. And the disciples, of course, were there. And Jesus has something done to him, which we're going to consider this morning. Uh, I know I did it in the children's talk, but all I want to do is expand on what I said to the children. Mary takes this flask of spikenard and opens it and pours it, all of it, on Jesus Christ. Very expensive stuff. And the disciples, led by Judas Iscariot, who was the treasurer 
Would you have made Judas Iscariot's treasurer if you would have known what he was about to do, betraying Jesus later? Well, Jesus did. He and they criticize Mary for this action. They say, what a waste. We should have given all of that to the poor. We should have sold that flask and given the proceeds to the poor. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about. What she's done is beautiful. Uh, the New King James doesn't quite uh, get the meaning. Look at verse 6. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done not so much a good work, but she's done a beautiful work to me. That's the emphasis. Something beautiful. And then he goes on to make this astounding statement. And this is my justification for looking at it in the gospel in Mark. He says, verse 9, I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, including Heath Church in Cardiff, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So we can't do a study of the gospel in Mark without considering what this woman did to Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what the gospel is? This woman's action is an illustration of what the gospel is. Do you want to know what true Christianity is? Do, do, do you want to know if you're a Christian? Are you a religious person this morning? Whether that's evangelical religiosity or another kind of religiosity, it doesn't matter. There's a vast difference between religion and Jesus Christ. Do you want to know if you're a true Christian? Then the action of this woman is the best definition of that. So without further ado, let us look. It's beautiful, right? True Christianity is beautiful. Jesus Christ is beautiful. Yea, he is altogether lovely, said Solomon. Why? I've just got four points and then we'll be done. Why is it so beautiful? Well, it's beautiful in its openness. If you've got a study Bible, you will be told that this event here didn't happen after the Olivet Discourse. It happened before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which would have been about five, six days before. Isn't that interesting? Jesus has Mark inserted here for a reason. Do you know why? The events are moving towards the climax, the crucifixion. Because of what Jesus has preached and done, the religious leaders hate him and they are plotting to put him to death. That's happening in secret. We're told that. Uh, the chief priests, verse 1, and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. The last verses in our reading talk about Judas Iscariot being so horrified by the action of this woman that he thinks now's the time to betray Jesus. So what you've got here is this open, public, beautiful act bookended by ugly secrets, plotting and evil. That's the contrast and that's what Mark wants us to see. 
Christianity is beautiful in its openness. This world is an ugly place, isn't it? Religion is ugly. But Jesus Christ is beautiful in his openness. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. We are dark by nature. Uh, it's not insignificant that in the account in John, John chapter 12, uh, you have Jesus uh, going on to talk about him being the light of the world, the light that shines in darkness. Oh, what Judas was about to do is going to be brought under the scrutiny of the light. Oh, the folly of the religious leaders. Uh, they said in verse 1 and 2 that they did not want Jesus to be put to death during the Passover. They did not want an uproar in the city. But God has other plans in mind. Oh, what a wonderful thing here you've got. You have the great and the good plotting, thinking that they are in control. They want to do away with Jesus after the Passover. But God is in control. And God makes sure that his only begotten son is going to be crucified on Good Friday, which is the day of the Passover. Nothing is going to stop God's plan. It doesn't matter how much they plot. God is going to bring his purpose to plan. The God who is light shines into the darkness. And one day we will see God's hand in everything, you know? One day we will see. Paul preached in the book of Acts and he said, what God did allowing his son to die on the cross wasn't done in a corner. It wasn't done in a secret place. It was done openly, publicly. This gospel isn't something secretive. There's no secret handshake, not that we can shake hands. There, there's no uh, secret uh, gnosis, knowledge that you have to have in order to enter into the innermost sanctum. It's open. It's open. Praise God. And you know what? When God begins to work in your heart and mine, the light of the Spirit shines, doesn't it? And we begin to see things that we thought were fine. Maybe respectable sins. And they're brought into the light. And they're seen for the ugliness that they really are. Uh, you know what it's like. Um, uh, when you're uh, um, waking up in the morning maybe. And uh, when I was a boy, I did not want to go to school. Did you like going to school? I... I hated going to school. And my mum would come and wake me up and she would just draw the curtains of the bedroom and the sun would shine. Well, not every time, but when the sun shone, it just caused everything to be a glare. The lights, the lights. It's like that when you become a Christian. You think you're all right. Maybe you haven't done anything wrong. Maybe you're a good, moral, religious person and there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But then the light of the Spirit shines into your heart and you see yourself as you really are and you know that you need to be saved as well. The openness of Christianity. 
Uh, that's the first reason why it's beautiful. It's not something secret. It's something open. No politics here. God doesn't do politics. Politics is the art of the possible. The gospel is the art of the impossible. And it's the most beautiful piece of art ever because it's open. God sees you. God sees me. We can't hide anything from him. But let's move on to a second reason why Christianity is so beautiful. Why a true Christian is something beautiful. There's humility here. Again, in the account in John, John chapter 12, verse 3, Mary didn't just anoint Jesus' hair or head, right? She did something unheard of. She anointed his feet as well. Now, you never anointed people's feet. Now, why am I making a big thing of this? Uh, well, if uh, you would have lived in Jesus' day, people would not have worn shoes and socks like we do. They would have worn sandals. And traveling on the dusty roads, if they visited uh, a house, if they were guests in somebody's house, uh, the servants, usually the lowest of the servants, uh, would have the horrible task of washing the feet of the guests. But what Mary does here is she takes this expensive oil and she anoints the head and she anoints the feet of Jesus Christ with it. Now, that, that, that was just the lowest of the low. And you know what Jesus Christ did later? We'll go to the upper room in a few weeks' time. And what did Jesus do to his disciples? There was nobody in the upper room to wash their feet. There was no slave or servant there. So Jesus himself did it. And the disciples couldn't believe it. Listen, my friends, Christianity. Do you know, to know what the sign of Christianity is? It's humility. Humility. And then this woman did something scandalous, outrageous. She unbraided her hair. Now, for a Jewish woman... To unbraid her hair in public, it, it was scandalous. And this is what Mary does, and uses her hair to wipe Jesus' feet with it. That's how humble she was in the presence of Jesus. What's the gospel? You see, I've got two things I'm preaching on this morning. What Jesus Christ is and what he came to do and what you become when you become a Christian. And in a way, they're intertwined because Jesus is the light of the world and then we shine for him. Jesus is the sun, we are the moon, reflecting him. Listen to this. He made himself, he who was son of God, high prince of heaven, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, the lowest slave, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. How far did he go? How much lower could he have gone? And became obedient unto death, the death of the cross. The eternal God, not just becoming one of us, and living in this ugly world, but going to die in our place, the ugliest of deaths. Stooping 
so low, but sinners raising. And Mary's response, is it your response, is just to humble herself. Um, somebody asked the great Augustine, uh, one of the biggest names in theology, what's a Christian? What three characteristics are there in a true Christian? And do you know what he said? For those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing. Do you know what the second thing is? Of course you do. Humility is the second. And do you know what the third? I think you can guess now. Humility is the third. And do you know what being humble means? It does not mean having a low view of yourself. One of Charles Dickens's characters was like that. You know Uriah Heep in David Copperfield? I'm so humble. He was forever going on about his humility. I'm so humble. That's not humility. Mary, listen, Mary was so taken up with Jesus Christ, she didn't think about herself at all. She even did something scandalous in terms of respectable society because she just cared about her saviour. Oh, I find that wonderful and refreshing. So what is so beautiful about Christianity? It's beautiful in its openness. It's beautiful in its humility. That's not the world. The world is all about being top. Christianity is about being humble. That's how our master was when he came into this world. And then... There's something else here which makes it so beautiful. It's sacrificial. It's sacrificial. Uh, look at uh, Jesus' words. She has done, verse 8, what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Do you know how much, if I can find my spike, can add? Do you know how much this would have cost, Mary? 300 denarii. Have I got it right? Maths was never my strong point. Three, is it 300 denarii? Yes, it is. Verse 5. Can you understand how outraged the treasurer, Judas, was and the other disciples? 300 denarii. Do you know how much 300 denarii was in Jesus' day? Do you know how much it was? One year's salary. <laughs> Imagine now. This is one year's salary, right? You could sell it and get one year's salary. She opens it and pours one year's salary on Jesus. You can smell the aroma of your salary wafting into the air. Can you understand why they said, what a waste? I can sort of sympathize with them. Wouldn't it have been better to give the proceeds to the poor? Listen, 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 listen. Some things are priceless. Economics doesn't come into it. Do you know, there's something priceless here this morning. I'm not talking about this building. Um, I can't remember. What's the, what's the worth of our assets as a church? I can't remember. Maths... Neither economics was my strong point. That's not what's priceless. Do you know what's priceless here this morning? You, me, your, not your body. Your body is one day going to be dead. But our souls 
How can you measure the worth of a person's soul? The soul which goes on to live forever? That's priceless, priceless. Do you know what else is priceless? She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. That's what I was saying to the children. Jesus' death on the cross cannot be measured in economic terms. We have not been redeemed with cheap things, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, teach me. Do you know this? Oh, teach me what it meaneth that cross uplifted high with one the man of sorrows condemned to bleed and die. Oh, teach me what it cost thee to make a sinner whole, one sinner. And teach me, Saviour, teach me the value of one. So, one soul. I asked our former pastor once, how, how did he manage looking after such a large congregation? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, it's the one, the one soul. I know we're seated in numbered places this morning, but God doesn't treat you as a number. One soul is precious to Jesus Christ. The one lost sheep. He came, the good shepherd, all the way from heaven to die for, if needs be, to bring the one lost sheep back to himself. Christianity is personal. He, on the cross, loved me, and he gave himself for me. Even if nobody else needed saving, he still would have come down from heaven and humbled himself to the death on the cross for me, for you. Can you understand why Mary did what she did? Mary knew she was a sinner. She knew she was heart ugly in her heart. She knew she needed saving. And she realized, we don't know how, but she realized that Jesus was going to die as the sacrifice in her place. And I think she just adored him and wanted to give her all that she had. Have you got that with Jesus Christ? Maybe our love isn't what it should be. But oh, don't you feel just something, just something? Uh, let, let me quote another hymn. These hymns just put it so beautifully, don't they? Uh, I don't think you can use uh, analysis to describe the cross. You, you've got to worship uh, the enormous, this is Williams Pantacellin, I think. Uh, the enormous load of human guilt was on my Saviour laid with woes as with a garment he for sinners was arrayed, just like this garment of a suit is around me. So Jesus Christ on the cross was surrounded by your sins and mine, and he took them all upon himself. Oh, love amazing, Williams goes on to say, love beyond the reach of human tongue, love which shall be the subject of an everlasting song. Eternity will be too short, 
to praise him for what he did on that cross. My soul, my immortal soul has been saved. My sin, which entailed an infinite sentence of punishments by a holy God. My sin has been forgiven. The debt has been cleared. And it's amazing, isn't it? Even in this day of small things, we can say, yes, he loved a sinner like me and died for me. What's your response to that? What's your response to 19th century missionaries leaving uh, the comforts of the United Kingdom, United States, and just going to the furthermost parts of the world, like Burma, uh, like India, and not knowing if they were ever going to land there alive. Some missionaries didn't even make it. And you might think, what a waste. Oh, no. They were doing something beautiful for the Savior. They were so taken up with the love of Jesus Christ. Economics didn't come into it. Uh, One of the greatest um, thinkers in the 20th century in evangelicalism was Gresham Machen. Heard of him? Gresham Machen. He made a stand against liberal theology. And this is why I'm interested in this. He had a brilliant mind. His power of analysis was spot on. And yet he wrote about this sacrifice. The slightest calculation might have led the woman to act differently. She did not calculate at all. All that she saw was Jesus. The whole rest of the world was forgotten. There sat her dear Saviour and Lord. And her heart was full of reverence and love. What place was there for exact calculations as to the best use of funds? What place for aught save gratitude and honour for him who was her only hope for time and eternity? Little did she care for the cold criticism of the disciples. Broken was the flask and the room filled with a lavish fragrance of the ointments. Calculation and efficiency was conquered by the might of love. Has your heart been conquered by the powerful love of Jesus Christ? Can you say, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all? Does the love of Christ conquer even our way of doing things as a church? Yes, we must be good stewards, but in the end... This isn't about economics, is it? Uh, I remember Saeed telling me about pastors in Iran uh, being imprisoned and then being released from prison and then going to live in the States and becoming Christian celebrities, big names, writing books. I don't see much beauty in that. And Saeed said, all these other pastors who weren't imprisoned and died a thousand deaths just serving the Saviour in relative obscurity. I see something very beautiful in that. I see something very beautiful in somebody sacrificially doing something for the Lord, not even preaching, just sacrificially working behind the scenes, sacrificially not wanting their names mentioned. It's beautiful to the Lord. That's Christianity for you. Uh, remember what George Whitfield, that great evangelist, said? Let the name of Whitfield be forgotten. Let my name be trodden underfoot, if Jesus may therefore be glorified. 
This is scandalous what she's doing. She's not thinking like that. She just wants to do this for her Savior. Are you ready for that? Or are you using the scales? Are you using the calculator? Get rid of them. They're useless when you've got divine love, the love of Jesus Christ. And then one last thing that makes this beautiful. What's Christianity? It's beautiful in its openness. It's beautiful uh, because uh, it's sacrificial. It's beautiful uh, because uh, it is uh, humble. And then it's beautiful because it's spontaneous. It's spontaneous. I love that. It's spontaneous. She didn't ask permission of the 12 disciples before she could do this. Her heart was overflowing and she did it. Even though she's criticised and in the accounts they criticised her sharply. They must have felt like arrows in her heart. But it didn't matter. Her heart was so big with love for what Jesus Christ had done. And if you look at what Judas did, right? This woman poured a year's salary out in a few seconds. That's how much she loved Jesus. Do you know how much Judas paid to betray Jesus? 30 pieces of silver, that's the cost of a slave. Didn't think much, did he, of Jesus Christ? No wonder Jesus commended her. <laughs> what she's done is beautiful wherever the gospel is preached. What she's done will also be mentioned. This is an illustration of my gospel. This is what true Christianity is all about. Uh, can I say this? Think of dear Dillis Price. Uh, wasn't there something beautiful in her witness uh, for the Saviour? Not religiosity, but a living, spontaneous relationship with a saviour who is alive. My time is running out, but let me just close with these things. Somebody was converted through George Whitfield. I mentioned his name already. He was the greatest evangelist probably this country ever produced. And they asked this person afterwards, what was it in Whitfield's sermon that God used to convict you and convert you. And she said, oh, it wasn't anything. It wasn't anything, he said. I could just see something in his manner. And I said to myself, if I'm going to have any religion, it's got to be Mr. Whitfield's kind of religion. That's good, isn't it? That you see something, real life, giving in a Christian. That's, if you don't mind, personal reference here. That's what spoke to me when I went to Aberystwyth. I'd never really come across Christianity until then. I'd been brought up in religion in a chapel, but I came face to face with the real Christians. And there was something about them. They had something I lacked. And you could see it in their faces even. You know what I mean? I remember watching a video of 
uh, people being interviewed in the 1950s who were converted in the 0405 revival. And there was a beauty, not a physical beauty, there was a spiritual, moral beauty in their faces. Well, what about us? Are we trusting in Jesus Christ? This woman did what she could. She didn't do what she could to save herself. She trusted Jesus completely for that. But after trusting him, she did what she could as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. As the children's hymn says, can you do this? Trust in his redeeming work and try his works to do. Not to earn brownie points, but out of love, out of love for the Saviour. Oh, are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone this morning? There's no hope for our immortal souls until we cast ourselves upon him. But having trusted him, are you wanting just to do something, you know? You don't have to become a missionary. Where you are, do something beautiful for the Lord. And as we sang in that second hymn, may his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win, and may they forget the channel, seeing only him. Is there an aroma of Christ about you and me? Uh, you know, this poor woman was criticised. She didn't care. She was going to do something beautiful instead. Uh, somebody once said, if you don't want to get criticised, just don't do anything. Just don't do anything. But if you do, then just do something beautiful instead. For his name's sake. Amen. Now we're going to close uh, with him. Uh, when I survey that wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Let's stand and again, please sing and make melody in your hearts.
was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. Oh, dearly, dearly, has he loved, and we must love him too, and trust in his redeeming blood and try his works to do. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.